0: church let me start here sometimes people when they want their kids or when they want somebody to respect God when they want someone to turn to God and be you know committed to God and respect him sometimes we say things like just respect him just because he's God you know uh, people say things like that that that's why we praise him and that's why we respect him is just because he's God Um, and that's true he is God Um, and a lot of people want others or even themselves to turn their hearts to the Lord and commit their hearts to the Lord and really feel fervent about the Lord and feel excited about the Lord. Um, again, maybe just because he's God or for some other reason, but a couple of verses come to mind. One is that the Bible says if um it says, Lord, if you would count sins in Psalms, it says if you would count sins, who could stand? You can throw it up behind me if you find it. It's in Psalms though. Um, it says if you if you would count sins, who could stand? but there's forgiveness with you that you might be feared. And to fear the Lord is essentially to submit to him in the Bible. We have that on our glossary, I believe, as well. But um, it actually says that the reason why God is, is feared or respected or submitted to is because there's forgiveness with him and because he doesn't count sins. Not for us that believe, right? He has erased the record of our sins. And um, you see that goodness of God. Right, his forgiveness, and that he's willing to forgive people if they will just receive his forgiveness. That that extension of forgiveness is actually what causes um, what what causes people to respect him. There's forgiveness with you, Psalms 130 verse four. At least that's the second part of it. There's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. That's what causes people to respect God. You really get a respect from God or for God when you realize his goodness, his kindness, that he's not counting your sin against you, and that he forgives you. That's what makes you respect somebody. That's what makes you respect God. And then also in Romans chapter 2, it says that it's the goodness of God. You guys are familiar with this verse. It's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Repentance is turning your mind to the Lord, um, changing your mind and believing in Jesus. And even that commitment in somebody's heart to turn their mind to the Lord and to... As we were just said in Psalm 130 to respect him or as it says in Romans chapter 2 to to turn their heart to him and commit their heart to him it says it's the goodness of God it's the kindness of God depending the translation that you read that leads you to repentance so you actually see the the way that you sometimes we just look at the outcome and we want people to respect God or we want even ourselves to feel more of a respect for God or more of a commitment to the Lord but it's really it's the goodness of God that leads someone to that point Um, If you just share the goodness of God with people, and you would share the forgiveness of God with people, let somebody know that God isn't angry with them. Let somebody know that God has already reconciled them to himself on on his end. If they're a believer, then they have the full spectrum of peace with God on his end, and they've made peace with God on their end by believing. But showing people that goodness that Jesus has already provided, even what we were just praying before about Sabbath rest, right? But that's a truth in Scripture. I'm not talking about making something up or sugarcoating something to make it sound better than it is. Um, the gospel cannot get better than it is. Uh, we just find the truth out in Scripture. We just repeat them. Um, but it is such good news. And when you teach people that good news, that's actually what, what causes people to just automatically turn their heart to the Lord and want to commit their mind to thinking on these things. It makes them want to um, commit their mind to Jesus, to learning him um, with, 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 with fervor. And, and when you don't see that in somebody, you don't see that in your kids, uh, again, you again, you, you need to, specifically with your kids, you need to give your kids those opportunities and those times to hear Jesus, right? You don't say, well, if you don't want to hear the Lord, then you don't have to come to church. You don't have to read your Bible or something like that. You give them those opportunities. But that's not, forcing your kid to read their Bible is not what's going to lead them to repentance. That's not what's going to lead them to turn their heart to the Lord because they could be reading their Bible and their heart's not on the Lord, right? You're just giving them the opportunity. But if you really want your kids to, Turn their heart to the Lord if you want a family member if you want other people to really turn their heart to Jesus You know what then rather than talk to them about them Because sometimes when you see a lack of commitment in somebody your mind goes to their lack of commitment When you see their flaws your mind goes to their flaws Right, and then what ends up happening is if what you do is your focus in talking to somebody is their lack of fervor for the Lord or their lack of excitement for the Lord or their lack of something toward the Lord and that's what you're showing them That doesn't lead them to repentance you just simply talking about their lack of commitment doesn't and their lack of commitment may exist Um, but that's not what leads someone to repentance that's not what makes them sort of buck up and say okay yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna start respecting God now because now that you pointed out that I don't respect God and again I'm not saying to deny the truths there are people that disrespect God all the time and there are people that are not committed to the Lord Um, so I'm not saying that that's not The case or that we should deny that or something like that I'm just telling you that that's not the truth that leads them to repentance when you're talking to people you show them the goodness of God that you know what? Even if you reject him, God still loved you even if you reject him God has still extended forgiveness toward you for you to receive God has still reconciled you to himself and it's that goodness and again It's the goodness that leads people to turn their heart to him and it's God's forgiveness that actually causes people to respect him so I would encourage you that, you know, when you're ministering to other people, we just had a, a, a sort of friendships article series go out. We've had similar things go out in the past. And, you know, when you're ministering to people, you just tell them what Jesus did, and you don't focus on their lack of commitment or their flaws or, or their lack of respect for God. You focus on what God did despite that. The Bible actually says, uh, regarding even the Jewish people today, who, generally speaking as a whole, religious Jews do not believe in Jesus, right, as a whole. And, um, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, there's always a remnant, but generally speaking, that's true. And the Bible says, will their unbelief nullify the faithfulness of God? What that basically means in a nutshell is just because someone doesn't believe doesn't mean that changes what God has done. Um, I shared a verse even recently, the Bible says, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Even despite people's flaws, everything that Jesus did um, is so supersedes that, is so much bigger than the wrong things people do. Um, Focusing on the wrong things that people do and I'm not asking again, like I said before uh, The Bible will never ask us to deny anything that is true People sin people do things wrong. Some people are caught up in that especially if you're not someone's not saved um, You know, there's none that do good. No, not one all those things are true But pointing the, the the pointing out of someone's sin as true as it may be isn't what? leads them again to repentance or to turn their heart to the Lord but it's the pointing out of the grace that much more abounds toward them despite their sin That's what causes people to turn their heart to the Lord and sometimes we can get focused on people And we can see all this sin in the world or we can see sin even in in uh, In other people or people around us and we can see those things And then you end up getting focused on somebody's sin rather than the grace that much more abounds um, the Bible is for it speaks about uh, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, but to think soberly. The Bible is always about sober-minded, so sober-mindedness. So, if there is sin that exists, God will never say, "We'll deny that that exists." But when there's grace, that so much more abounds. Um, Paul even talked about this similar comparison with sufferings, and he says, "You know, it's not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us." In Romans 8. So, whether it's suffering or sin or whatever it is. No one is asking and God is certainly not asking us to deny that those things exist that sin and suffering for instance exist in this world Um, Thinking soberly means not denying anything that is true just being a realist That's what God is for God is not for optimism if you're referring to sort of seeing the cup half-full God is for being a realist. He everything is naked and exposed before his eyes He sees everything if there is sin or suffering God's not asking us to deny that 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 exists But you know though i think that in our speech you know where your focus is though when the speech lingers on the sin and the suffering in the world rather than the grace that much more abounds than the sin rather than the glory that makes the suffering not even worthy to be compared to it you see what i'm saying if we're really being sober-minded here i'm not talking about denying the sin and the suffering in the world or even things that you see in other people but what i'm saying is For the sake of sober-mindedness, if you actually look realistically, realistically, um, at how big someone's sin is in regards to the grace that Jesus demonstrated toward it, how much should we really be talking about the sin versus the grace? I'm saying being sober, being realistic. Don't deny anything exists. The sin exists. Why is it that I taught a a, a very short little message series, two-part little short series called No Biggie, and it was basically talking about how Jesus even went into, um, went into um, a, a funeral that they were having for a little girl. And when he saw them crying and wailing over her death, he says, why all the commotion? Now, that's a pretty, pretty bold thing, right, to say at a funeral, why all the commotion? But Jesus saw that as such a small thing. You see, Jesus did not deny that the girl died. He wasn't denying that. But he saw her death as such a small thing compared to the grace that he was coming to give that his focus, you could tell by his words that his focus was not on the sin sin or the suffering. His focus was on the grace that much more abounds. Again, we're being realistic here, right? It's it's like um, you just getting a brand new car. Someone gave you a brand new car for free. Really, really high-end car. Just, just, uh, Just came out this car. And you get the tiniest little gnat that hits your windshield and being all broken up about it. That's not being realistic, right? Uh, If you're being realistic, you know the gnat was there, that little speck, you know that was there, um, but you just got a new car, and you wouldn't be all broken up about a little gnat hitting your car, and that's the problem. It's not denying that someone's sin exists. It's not denying that the flaws of other people exist. It's not denying that there are people in this world that reject the gospel, but their unbelief doesn't nullify the faithfulness of God. And The faithfulness of God is so super abounds beyond that. Why is your focus so much on people's unbelief? Why is your focus so much on people's sin if the grace so much more abounds It seems like you should be talking about the grace a lot more than you should be pointing out the fact that somebody sinned like again It's not about denying something. It's just like sometimes, you know, we, we get caught up In our own suffering and someone else's suffering and Jesus is saying why all the commotion? I understand it's there. I'm not denying it's there. I'm just saying That the glory that I've given you in the whole world, especially for a believer, that has got it right here. That's not even worthy to be compared. Like, I just compared two things, right? A gnat with a new car. The reason why that's so flawed as an analogy, even so, is because those two things, a good event and a bad event, can actually be compared. The Bible says on the scale of how big someone's sin is or how big someone's suffering is versus his grace and his glory, it says it's not worthy to be compared. You Couldn't put them in the same graph. You wouldn't even see the one compared to the other It can't even be compared. It's apples and oranges, right? And so it's not that we should ever deny people sin if somebody you know is sinning We we can we can deal with it. We can encourage them as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can do that the problem is when you get focused on that and and conversations with this person end up revolving around something that Jesus already fixed. It's like well why don't we talk about this in light of what jesus did then it just does something to your tone when you talk about things right if the, it, you know if it, the bible even talks about if that if if you see a brother that's caught up in some kind of sin you know that you, you who are spiritual can restore them and do it so yeah that's not denying that someone did something wrong but it changes your tone when you speak to somebody when you know that grace so much more abounds you, you're, you're like hey you know what let's talk about it let's let's you know whatever correct or something but then you. The grace that so much more abounds puts a lot, di- uh, a, a different tone on a conversation like that. Just the way that Jesus knew that the glory that is so much bigger than suffering, doesn't that put a little bit of a different tone in Jesus' mouth when he goes to a funeral and he says, Wow, the commotion. That, that's a different tone. That's a different tone. He didn't deny the girl was dead, he called her death sleeping because he knew it's a temporary kind, the temporary kind of death where you can get back up. But even just the fact that he used the word sleep is a word for someone that has died but you know it seems that sleep is just a word for someone that has died but you can get right back up right like you took a nap okay i'm gonna get you right back up but because jesus jesus being realistic right if he were just to go and wail with them and let's just talk about the fact that the girl died and what are we going to do about that and what's this going to mean for the family and like uh he he yeah okay you're acknowledging that she died that's true but but it's like the elephant in the room is the glory of god here and, and, and if you really knew the, how big the glory of God was compared to that suffering you would you would talk different about it Just you need to get caught up in the glory of God why for the sake of being realistic For the sake of being so reminded you need to get caught up in the glory of God not not the suffering because it's like you know God's glory is not even just able to heal suffering It's able to glorify someone's body and make it infinite make it eternal like right. It's, it's like even beyond just Getting over suffering the grace of God has been provided to To forgive sins entirely as far as our relationship with God is concerned and to rectify wrongs and Give righteousness on the inside of us and have that produced through us and like How big of a problem is sin compared to what Jesus did? So so when we speak to people and when we minister it needs to come across like that Like your sin has been overwhelmed by grace Like it has to sound like that. Otherwise, you're not being realistic Remember we're being sober here, right? I'm not being optimistic. I'm just saying there's a bigger deal than your sin. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying your sin didn't exist. And I'm not saying it's not wrong. I'm just saying there's a bigger deal here. And again, you're sort of denying the elephant in the room when we talk in a tone that's focused on the sin rather than, hey, you know what? Yeah, that happened. And God's grace is like so super abounds beyond that that, yeah, I mean, From A forgiveness standpoint as well, but it's able to rectify that no problem Let's just let's get focused on the grace of God and what he's done because it's actually through our focus and Acknowledgement of every good thing that we've been given in Christ that these things become effectual in our life So let's get focused on that Something happens that you didn't plan for guess what that's gonna happen in your life I'm not saying that these things have to come near you psalms 91 I'm just saying though that things are gonna happen unplanned in your life and when that happens knowing that there's a glory that makes everything pale in comparison, it changes your tone. When the tone is, is a frustration with somebody's sin or a frustration with somebody's unbelief, you're not seeing it realistically. You've, you've magnified. The Bible says, right, to magnify the Lord and to exalt his name, right? That's just magnifying God in your mind to the point where he's looking realistic. And trust me, you can't magnify God enough and everything he's done enough Compared to everything in this world So when you're ministering to somebody else That is the tone That is the tone that comes across when you've got grace that's bigger than sin in your mind when you've got glory That makes suffering pale in comparison when you've got the faithfulness of God that is true Even if someone is in unbelief that is the tone that is struck in a conversation with somebody when you realize all the things that jesus has done and who jesus is and who the father is in sending jesus when you realize who they are in comparison to all this stuff the tone that struck is isn't it such good news that fill in the blank i know you said isn't it such good news like let, let's again you could talk the bible says to restore people if you see someone caught up in some kind of sin talk to them correct it restore them good teach them what is right teach them the godliness they've been given in christ tell them that When 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 our ministry is focused on sin or too focused on people's unbelief or focused on their rejection of God You're not realizing the faithfulness of God the grace of God the glory of God that so overwhelms those things in people It is not our ministry to point out people's sin suffering and unbelief that brings them and turns their heart to the Lord It is the goodness of God saying what I just told you pointing out Those attributes of Christ and his work that so overwhelms anything they could ever go through. That makes the light bulb go off in somebody's mind and say, you know what? I'm not doing it because you forced me. I'm not doing it because mom and dad told me I had to. I'm doing this because I can't live without that. See what I'm saying? That is a commitment that is not um, so easily moved or challenged when you've realized the goodness of God. Even as believers, we need to continually remember the goodness of God. Um, when I was first spending time with the Lord, I I just um, this is not a formula I'm not presenting this as such, but I um, I just did no TV at all no TV no movies And you know there were times I really like, wanted to watch something with my family and and I just was like uh, every single chance I get I'm spending time with the Lord just and I mean not just meditating during my day, but I mean like personally Just I'd go up to my room, and I would just open a Bible, and I'm just doing that right all the time um, and there were times where my family would be doing something, and I'd be like, you know what, I, like, I feel I kind of want to do that because they're, they're watching a movie together or something. And then I would kind of look, and I'm looking at the stairs, and I know my bedroom was upstairs. And I would know, though, inside, I really want to do this, though. And it was always me remembering, you know what, Lord, you're not trying to withhold any good thing from me. You want everything. And if, I'm just, if I am able to get to know you, the good that you've provided and everything that you want for my life is going to come out in my life and i'm going to i'm going to live so full like see i start meditating on the goodness of god i was running up those stairs and i couldn't care less about the movie anymore you see what i'm saying because it's it's the goodness of god that attracts you and entices you to to receive him initially to spend time with him whatever it is it's the goodness of god it's remembering that goodness of god that leads people to turn their hearts to him and that's that's the thing that people need to hear and again, if we're looking at things realistically, how could we not be ministering to, that, that to, to, to one another when you look at it realistically? Yeah, I mean, sin exists, suffering exists, people's unbelief exists, but I mean, that is like, what is, what is that in comparison to what Jesus did? It's not worthy to be compared, Romans chapter 8, not worthy to be compared. Um, it is just so awesome. Let me see if I can find a, a verse for you. It might take me a second. It's in the book of Job. Um, Job speaks about being brought to a broad place. Um, I want to see if I can find it here. Oh, okay, that's what I'm looking for. Basically, <laughs> I wanted to see. I wanted to get the definition of one of these words because um, I wanted to share the definition of one of these words in Job 36:16. <laughs> My Bible it would not click. I'm like. I'm pretty sure that's the right word, and, and finally it it, uh, it came up. So, yeah, so let me show you that, Job 36, 16. Um, let me read you a few, a few things here. Let's actually go up a little bit. Um, let's go to verse 7, I think. Verse 7. Um, for the record, in the book of Job, um, there's only one person in the book of Job that God did not correct, and that was Elihu. Typically, when you hear, almost always, every quote that I've heard from the book of Job has been quoting, especially Job. God corrected him in the end of the book of Job, so you can't just quote anything Job said, um, and or his friends, which obviously God corrected them at the end as well. The only person he did not correct is Elihu, so which tells me Elihu's words are sound, right? So he had nothing to say to it. In fact, a lot of the same points that Elihu says. This is one of those chapters in uh, Job chapter 36. Um, a lot of the points that Elihu made, God just basically repeated them to, to Job, if you read the book for yourself. So so be very careful with the book of Job. That is one the devil will use people very sneakily to quote the Bible, especially the book of Job, and, you know, Lord giveth and taketh away, and all this stuff that's a, uh, uh, pre-Christ, and, and so anyhow, this is sound. God did not correct this. Um, and it says that, um, he the Lord does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on they are on the throne with kings the righteous For he has seated them forever and they are exalted and if they are bound in fetters held in cords of affliction, then he tells them Their work in transgressions that they have acted defiantly he, This is New King James Version by the way He also opens their ears to instruction and commands them to turn from iniquity And if they obey and serve him, they will spend their days in prosperity in their years in pleasures and if they do not obey, they shall perish by the sword, and they shall die without knowledge. Right? With, the lack of knowledge is what kills everybody. Um, and verse thirteen it says, but the um, and by everybody I mean everybody that has the lack of knowledge. In verse thirteen it says, but the hypocrites in heart store up wrath. Uh, they do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth, and their life ends among the perverted persons. He delivers the poor in their affliction and opens their ears in oppression. Indeed, he would have brought you out of dire distress. And into a broad place where there is no restraint, um, and what is set on your table would have been full of richness. So he's describing sort of the lot of the believer and the one that has no knowledge, right? And he's going back and forth between those two things. The interesting thing of is when he says that, when he's talking to, I believe he's talking to Job here, and he says, "Indeed, that the Lord would have brought you out of your dire distress." Really interesting. The bring you out that word there um, is the word to to incite to allure. To Entice That's actually the word there. It's very interesting that I just like that particular um, That particular word there because that's how the Lord does it, right? The Lord entices people out of their distress entices people out of their sin entices people out from the way that they were living or the suffering that they were in before and the, What they believed about it he entices people out of it Why that's why it's the goodness of God that leads people to turn their mind to him because they're enticed by what the Lord has to provide the gospel is that good that if you actually teach the truth don't make it sound better than it is again it's already as good as it can get if you just give people the truth about what jesus did what he did so overwhelms anyone's sin anyone's suffering or anyone's unbelief if you just stick with what jesus did in his goodness that's going to fill your heart so much as it is and then when you share that with somebody else they will be enticed enticed to receive what you're saying um, man, there, there there is such a time, right, to be able to correct someone's unbelief in context of God's faithfulness and everything that Jesus did. There's a time to be able to correct sin. There's a time to, you know, even pray for people for their suffering and things like that. But if you will just, in, in, in your ministering to people, remember how much the goodness of God so overwhelms that. The, more, the bigger you magnify everything that Jesus did in your own mind, the more, again, that tone will be struck in the way that you're ministering to other people as well that's how it's going to come across it's going to be like you see suffering what's all the commotion sin grace much more abounds that's how it's going to come across unbelief you know what there was a man uh i'm actually going to close up pretty soon here but um let me at least make the statement and we'll, we'll go from there i told you guys a story a while ago miss kim and i uh we at home depot doing some church stuff getting some i think actually we were getting the paint for this temple here and um and there was a guy there that was saying about how God did this or that, and he, he stole his girlfriend, made his girlfriend leave him, and his life is this way because God did this. And then he was saying about how he doesn't really believe in God, but you know he believes that religion is good for whatever his friend that was just you know, next to him. And, and when you know that someone's unbelief, you see, I could see that unbelief and get focused on his unbelief, and man, like, wow, how could you say that about God? It's so terrible. How could you say that about God? It's so terrible. How could you say that about God? It's so terrible. It is terrible. But get, you know what, though? You know what is more, though? the faithfulness of God, that despite his unbelief, that does not nullify the faithfulness of God. It does not nullify the grace of God. It does not nullify what Jesus provided. It's, it's still given to that man. And so I, I, I looked at him, I said, you know what? I said, God still loves you anyway. I said, don't you hate that when you don't even care about God and God still loves you anyway? That tone, when you can look at somebody and say, you know what? I know you got unbelief going on i know you reject the gospel i know all this stuff but you know what though that doesn't nullify jesus though you see he's so big in your mind that their unbelief looks so small it's very frustrating when you when you when you magnify people's unbelief or their sin or their suffering it's very frustrating in so many different ways because you don't want to see those things but there's something bigger there's something so much bigger that if you saw how insurmountable the goodness of god revealed through jesus was You would acknowledge those things exist, but like I said, the tone would be, you know what, it's not worthy to be compared with it. Thank you so much, Jesus, for what you've done. And the the important thing is, again, I'm going to sort of leave you with this, this is why you need to continually magnify the work of Jesus in your mind. When you meditate, don't meditate on people's unbelief. Don't meditate on people's sin. Don't meditate on people's suffering. Meditate on the Savior from all those things, right? Jesus is too good for you to be thinking about something he already fixed. He's too good for that. He's too good for that. He's been too good to you. Whether you believe him or not, case in point right here, right? Whether you believe him or not, he's been too good to you. If you never received him, he's been too good to you. And it's that um, undeserved, unworked for favor of God that it's there for you. And you know what? You go ahead and take it. God loves you anyway. That kind of stuff that makes people look at that and say, you know what? How messed up in my mind would I have to be to reject that? But you know it though even if they are messed up in their mind enough to reject that that doesn't nullify Jesus though he's too good for me to focus on your unbelief don't focus on people's unbelief sin suffering focus on the savior from it focus on that you 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 don't have to worry about how you talk to somebody else you focus on that out of the abundance of your heart which is full of the grace of god your mouth will speak the grace of God. Your mouth will speak the glory of God. Your mouth will speak the faithfulness of God that has overcome all those things. That's all, that's it, that's it. Don't ever worry about how you minister. You just get concerned with how abundant, how the grace and glory and faithfulness of God so supersedes anything that you're seeing in other people. And, and, And you don't worry about the rest. Make the tree good, the fruit is automatically good. There's so many good things that we, we know at this church, and we just need to focus on those things. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord. We love you so much, Jesus. You're so good, Lord. You're so good. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I'm going to just close out the service right now. Thank you so much, Lord. I'm going to pray for me, and you can agree with this for yourself. Thank you so much, Jesus, that, that you loved me even before I loved you. And as far as your love was concerned, you didn't even care, Lord, whether I loved you or not, you were going to love me anyway. And you demonstrated that love through Jesus. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you were gracious to me when I didn't believe you, Lord, that you were gracious to me, Lord. I thank you that, Lord, despite everything, Lord, that I've done wrong. I thank you, Lord, that the whole time you had extended forgiveness to me, ready for me to receive. Thank you for that grace, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. And I thank you so much, Father, for anything that I have ever suffered. I thank you so much, Jesus, that you are the fix for all of those things. And I thank you so much, Father. We magnify and we glorify Jesus Christ and him crucified and all the glory that we have because of you, Lord, and we just magnify it now, Lord. And we realize that it is bigger than everything else, and nothing is worthy to be compared to that. Thank you so much, Jesus. We just get caught up in all that you are. Thank you so much, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We are so grateful. (laughs) I'll bet, Lord, it it just revives in our heart, Lord, for those that actually are really hearing this. It just revives in our heart, Lord, our respect for you. And no one tonight even told anyone in this room to respect God. Nobody even told anyone in this room to love God, to respect God, to appreciate God. We just got talking about how good Jesus has been at the cross and what he provided us. The character of god revealed through jesus and it just revives that respect that appreciation that desire to know you more automatically because that's what your goodness does jesus so thank you so much for that lord we endeavor lord we endeavor we are not sluggish in this we endeavor to push hard lord into seeing all of your goodness and listening to you lord it's so good we want to dig in and we continue to do that jesus we thank you so much father for everything we've heard tonight everything that we continue to hear at this church lord we just take these things to heart meditate on these things. And we grow in these things. Thank you so much, Lord. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. All right. We love you guys so much God loves you so much God has loved you so much, right? You don't you don't actually know how much God loves you until you can understand what it means to say that God loved you past tense Right, you do not know what it means to say God loves you until you can tell someone God loved you and know what that means I'm not even gonna tell you what it means right now But you keep coming to reformed church and you'll you'll find out what that means, right? All right, Galatians 2:20 says that he loved me and gave himself one. We hope you enjoyed this message from Reform Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this uncommon truth out to the world. If you'd like to support this good news, you can do so at reformchurch.com give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reformchurch.com.